You're listening to the FSA Podcast with your host, Brent Cromer. Hello and welcome to another episode of the FSA Podcast. I'm here with a very special guest, guys. This one's going to be fun. This one's going to be fun. Actually, him and I um, have just met for the first time about five minutes before we started recording this. So this is this is cool. But uh, Mr. J.D. Daly, he is a mentor. He's a sales trainer. He's the founder of The Undeniable Closer, which is a mentorship program for um, essentially what you're doing is you're helping people transition from, from regular jobs into the remote sales space. But you're doing a lot more than just sales. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, what we've kind of done is set up in the space that most sales trainers are not covering, which is Mm. the personal and professional development, the landing and everything that comes with that of your dream job of high Mm. income, meaningful employment, and then also the career advancement, the onboarding, everything kind of in between. Um, that's that's a big focus of ours. Yeah, interesting. How did you land? Because I know there's there's agencies for. I mean, you could you could throw a rock in any direction and you'll hit an agency owner, right? But you've been around a little while. When did you start the the undeniable closer? Yeah, so I started my remote sales journey about seven and a half years ago, oh, wow. um, and I started uh, undeniable closer about two and a half years ago. Okay, nice. What what prompted that, if you don't mind? Yeah, so I had a pretty successful career as a remote salesperson. It didn't start out that way. I followed what all the gurus and trainers and pipelines were telling me to do, and it almost put me in a horrible situation. I was in a foreign country, making no money, working 12 hours, night shift because of the time difference, and I was going broke, and I decided I had to start changing it up developed Mm -hmm. some strategies that worked for me and was able to get consistently around 40 to 45, 50K a month uh, for about four and a half years. And these these strategies that we can talk about, um, but basically what it did is I started treating my career like a business. Mm -hmm. And what happened with that is not only did I get better opportunities and made more money, but I also got introduced to all these other opportunities that I wouldn't have if I just applied for jobs. And so I got to build teams, I got to build sales pipelines and processes and rewrite scripts and all that stuff. And so I was recruiting and all these really good people that I really connected with were coming through and interviewing, but I couldn't hire them. They just weren't prepared. And it was like, they didn't know the process of getting hired. They didn't know what I was looking for. And they were good people, but... It was like they were so underprepared. And so I started just kind of talking to a few of them offline and and just say like, hey, where did you come from? Because I think you have potential, but I can't hire you for this role just based on the interview and and the way you went about it. And I realized that most of them at the time were coming from one of two trainers that were charging upwards of 10K Mm -hmm. and basically giving them a script and saying, go send a bunch of intro videos and good luck. And so I just kind of started working with a few of them and, and realized that there's a whole gap that people weren't teaching. And most people sure. seen an ad, bought a program, but had no idea the space that they were entering or how to be successful in it. And so I kind of opened up the doors to a small case study for five people. I thought maybe I can do this on the side and 55 people signed up. Right. And so <laughs> before I knew it, UCM, UCM was a thing before I even planned for it to be a thing. Wow. Okay. 
And I, I think it's a genius thing that you did. You, you, I mean, like any entrepreneur, you found a gap into a, you found a gap in a market and you said, I, I feel like I could do that better. And not only did you do it better, you, you do it exponentially better from what I, from what I have come to understand and talking with others. So do you feel like where they were missing the ball was they were essentially just bringing people in? And I see this all the time in the fitness space. Let me tell you. So, so tell me if this sounds similar, they bring them in, they give them a script, they give them a process, they give them a course, but they don't individualize it to the person. Is that a lot of what you were seeing? Yeah, that's it. I mean, you're entering a new industry and I think the ads, I get it. It's selling this magical 10 K a month opportunity that you can work from anywhere, mm -hmm. but it has to be backed on something. So a lot of people for the first time ever are entering the sales industry without really knowing they're entering the sales industry because it's packaged up as this mystical, you know, industry, but really it's just sales done remotely. It's been happening for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so people are getting in and they're underprepared and overpromised. So they're like, where's my $10,000 check? Mm -hmm. And it's not there. And so yeah. also the strategies of these businesses is to scale. That's their goal. That's, that's their commitment, everything to scale. But there's no logic around, well, how many can we actually fulfill? So they might have, you know, 5% of the market they can get jobs for, but mm -hmm. they're selling 100%. Yeah. And so what do those 95% of people do when the pipeline is not working for them? And that was a big focus for us of you can't be dependent on someone else to get you that job. Mm -hmm. And the jobs that you're going to get with them, you know, they're selling you closer training and then they're like, oh, we have a DM setter role for you. Well, why did you make me pay the $10,000 for closer training mm -hmm. if I'm starting in a totally different role? Yeah. And so we took the crew and kind of looked at how can we be responsible? How can we do what they're doing in the pipelines individually? And I think you touched on that individual basis. Each person comes in needing something different. Some mm -hmm. people need some personal development. Some people need that time management. Some people have imposter syndrome or confidence issues or self-worth yeah. issues. And the course can't plan, just like a script can't plan for every prospect, yeah. the course can't plan for every person that comes in. So a lot of people, they were just writing off as, well, they're just not working hard or they're not doing the process or they're not patient enough. But I started talking to these people and it's like, no, that's not it. And it wasn't it for me either. I was told I wasn't working hard enough or that I wasn't following the process. And I was following it to a T 12 hours a day, wow. but it was working for me. And I didn't make just like, it would be okay if I made like a little shift, right? If I just changed or tweaked one thing, mm -hmm. the way I found success in this industry was doing the opposite, the exact opposite of what everyone's teaching. So to me, that tells me that something's broken here. Either they're disconnected and they're just online marketers and they found high ticket closer as a good keyword to sell in, mm -hmm. or they don't care. Either uh, one is not working for the average person. Do you feel like it could be a combination? Yeah, I would say probably a little bit of both, right? Their priority is scaling and they're really good at it. To, to be fair, as far as marketing and scaling, they're the best. But as far as producing results for the majority of their clients, they fail. Mm -hmm. And and you touch on a great point there. You can be a great business owner, not a great coach. You can mm -hmm. run a great coaching business and not be a great coach, right? Yeah. If the metric for success there is scaling revenue, things like that. Yeah. By those metrics, yes, you have a great business. But what have you produced? What have you? What impact have you created, right? Yeah. 
I don't think that impact, uh, and I, this is where, you know, Sean Ray actually mentioned, he was a mentor of mine for a long time. One of the first people he recommended I chat with when I got into the online space was you. One of the first people mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about you. I, I barely even, I just created a Facebook again. I was off Facebook for a long time, got my mentorship, jumped into high, high ticket sales. And he's like, I can already kind of tell like your style is very similar to his. So that's mm-hmm. where guys, just a, some background. Um, Love Sean. We used to work together on a campaign many, many moons ago. Yeah. He is a, he is a genius. He's as, as real as it gets in the space. So yeah, I can't Very speak bad. highly enough, but you know, he, he recommended that we chat. And one of my first impressions guys of, of JD, you are not afraid. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't think I am. Uh, you are not afraid to share your opinion on Facebook, mm-hmm. on what I would consider the big stage with a lot of big influencers. And so when I was kind of coming into the space, I was a little bit more of a mouse. I'm like, I'm the new guy here, right? I'm going to mind my own business. I'm going to learn everything I can from every single person. And then I'll decide kind of who's, who's worth listening to, who's not. But yeah. you, I, I consistently saw like your post, you were challenging a lot of um, sales ideologies, a lot of those big marketing systems. You weren't afraid to call out what, what I would consider as like the elephant in the room. Right. Mm. Yeah. Have yeah, you absolutely. always have you always been kind of uh, like that 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 vocal person, or did you just decide I'm I'm sick of the BS, I'm I'm ready to address it? I think a little bit of both. I've always I've always been able to go my own path and challenge the status quo, mm-hmm. but it is a bit of that frustration that I know what this is like, and so. I feel like my position and my purpose in this industry is to speak for the people that aren't spoken for. And yes, the 15% who just need sales training and they skim off the top and that works for them. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Even when I'm talking about, I'm not talking about, Hey, this training won't work or that sales training is not necessary or that this I'm talking about. I know that individuals are seeing this and they're in a vulnerable spot. Mm-hmm. And this person said, this is all I need. So this is all I need. And they're going to massive debts and putting mm-hmm. themselves in a tough position. And I know that different people need different things. But when you say all you need is this, when you talk in those absolutes, the only thing, the top 1%, when you use all these jargon, I know it's marketing. I know it sells. I know guaranteed placement works for people that don't know how to place themselves. Mm-hmm. But I get to deal with the people after that, after they bought the promises, after they bought the flashy things that sell, I have to now put their life back together. I have to wow. get them the result that they were promised in the first place. So the passion comes from 90% of our students come to us after investing in another program and not getting results. And so I wouldn't have a business. I wouldn't be doing this if these companies fulfilled because I'm not good enough at marketing to get out there. Boy, the only no. <laughs> students we get are people that after yeah. it didn't work out, they come to us. Now and I so see if they where the filling, I wouldn't have anything to do. Now I see where Sean uh, got that that idea. Um, it's 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 actually um, comical because I, I say the same thing all the time. If people, if these companies for, I mean, we're, we've niched down to fit pros, of course, but if these big fitness companies who have hundreds of students, if they just took the time to actually coach the individual. Right, it's going to cost substantially more than it would for us because we're more boutique. Mm-hmm. If they would just coach like they should, like like methods that actually worked that didn't work five years ago when you took your last sales call, I wouldn't have a business either. Yeah. Right, 
So we, we, we are very much in like the same space of kind of picking up the pieces, putting it back together and then building, but you know, building stronger. Mm, yeah. Um, I dig that. That's a, it's not a job. A lot of people want to have either. Right. No, like, it's a challenge for sure. Like let, let's, uh, you know, let's just, let's be completely honest here. It's probably easier to hit those who are fresh into the space. You know, it's kind of like the relationship analogy, right? Someone who hasn't had their heart broken, who's fresh of blank canvas, take them and and do your best and then kind of kick them to the curb if they're not one of your top producers, you know, your testimonial 100%. producer. Yeah, 100% is much easier and it's much more profitable. Mm -hmm. um, and most people don't have that second investment. A lot of people come to us and, you know, every day I get the message, I wish I would have found you sooner. Yep. yep. Right? Exactly. And so... Yes, of course, skimming off the top and getting people when they don't know the truth is much easier to sell to, for sure. If I wanted to package up the same thing and sell it, I would make so much more money, but mm -hmm. at what cost? You yeah. know, how much yeah. money do you need in, compared to having a community that I love and I'm passionate about and people, I know every single person in our community, I know their name, I know their strengths, their weaknesses, I know their fears, their insecurities, I know what they're working towards. They can show me an offer, like a mm -hmm. job offer, and I know it's right for them or not. Right? Yep. And I can't do that at, you know, thousands and thousands of people coming through in, in some mm -hmm. ivory tower where I'm only seen in the marketing. I think that's a real problem. If you're paying someone and you see them more in the marketing than when you pay them, that to me is a real problem. You are speaking to my entire business model, my friend. So this is, this is brilliant. And one of the things that that I have noticed is, you know, when when I started C4F, it was one, yes, I similar, similar aspect. I found a gap in the market. I wanted to fix it. Upon fixing it, you find more problems, right? Mm. You fix as much as you can when people come to you. The one thing that I didn't want to give up though, and that's why we cap our roster at 50. We've always capped it at 50, is because anything beyond 50, it's like that, that uh that cost benefit analysis, right? That you start running the, the diminishing returns essentially is what happens because the diminishing returns for me are now I'm putting in a lot more work. People are getting a less version of me and my staff because we're, we're working more, right? And people are getting less results. We've hit that kind of that ceiling before we have to reinvest, bring in a bunch more staff. You, you know that process, right? So that was one of my most important goals was building and cultivating that community that was really tight knit where I was a regular face, right? Mm. So how have you maintained, because your, your community is a little bit bigger than mine. You've got some 13,000 people in your Facebook group. How have you been able to maintain that formula, that status? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably crazy and don't <laughs> sleep enough. That's probably part of it, but the students come first. So I'll tell everybody in the community, like someone reached out the other day and they got upset that I didn't hit them back within six, seven hours. And I'm like, you have to understand that this free community is not my priority. And mm -hmm. that should be like, if you're considering joining UCM, that should be a benefit, not a cost. Mm -hmm. My commitment has been and always will be first staff. I want to make sure my staff are happy. And then secondly, students. And we only have at any given time, like with alumni, people that have been there two and a half years, um, 120 people in that community. And probably mm -hmm. only about 30 of them are active, new, need that kind of one-on-one -on -one time and, and kind of that nurturing. And that stays the same. And so that is my commitment. I'm in that community. I'm 
I'm basically hosting a call almost every day of the week, sometimes two. Um, like tonight, we have one on researching companies. You know, mm-hmm. we'll have advanced sales training. We'll have Monday morning motivation. I'm in those calls. We have nice. some amazing coaches. Hunter and John are absolutely incredible and could each of them could have their own offers to have us three, I think is really amazing. But mm-hmm. again, it comes down to prioritizing the students and yeah. everything else fits after that. And so that that costs and that makes me, you know, bad at marketing and that probably makes me bad as a CEO, but yeah. I'm here as a mentor first. And so yeah. I can hire out the other things where I see I feel like most coaches do the opposite, right? They want to be the CEO, they want to be the marketer, mm-hmm. and then they hire out everything else. Oh, I want to do that reverse, right? I yep. want to be in here. This is my passion. This is what I love to do. And this is where I feel like I can have the impact is sharing my experience, which is an alternative path. Mm-hmm. I've developed some strategies that work for people when they work them. And mm-hmm. I want I, I just am addicted to seeing people's breakthroughs, to seeing that transformation, to see someone who struggled and was $20,000 in with other programs come through and turn yeah. it around. I can't get enough of that. Yeah. seems like you're, you're definitely one of the good guys in the space. It seems like you're. Thanks, buddy. You as well. Yeah. Appreciate that. So walk me through, walk me through that process. If you don't mind, like for instance, let's say I am a new student. I'm someone inquiring. I am fret well no let's 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 spice it up okay we don't have to role play this i just you know high level overview let's say i come in i've been burned i spent 25k on a guru mentor didn't get what i wanted but i still want to take one more swing at it if i can right and land a gig in remote sales and make 10k a month right just like everybody else what does that process look like how are you able to fulfill on that yeah so the biggest thing is we have to kind of gauge where you are in that, like when someone has high hopes when they first start. Mm-hmm. So that's usually when I'm talking to someone, I, I'm not asking them where they're at now. That's what most salespeople do. I'm asking them, when did they first find out about it? And what was that hopefulness? Because what happens is you start with high hopes and then life punches you in the face a few times. And then you oh, lower yes. the standard and the expectations and the compromise. And all of a sudden you're living in this like realistic point. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to what the hope was because that's my desired outcome. I want to get the desired outcome and everybody comes with a different desired outcome. I want to challenge that. I want to understand why. And then we start strategizing. So most people think I need a job. So I need applications and pipeline. Mm -hmm. That's not how I worked. I realized that it's about people and gathering information, right? It's about making those connections because what's behind every job, a person. Sure. Right? You can't find a job. You can find a person who posts mm-hmm. something, right? But people are there just like tunnel vision, job, job. Where's the job? Where's the job? You have a job. Who has a job for me? Instead of like understanding that the people give the job. Mm-hmm. So we focus on people first. We also understand that if someone comes to me and says, I want to make 10, 15, 20, 30, 40K, that rules out instantly 80% of the opportunities. Mm-hmm. So if you're going through and you're just like, is this the right job? Is this the right job? It slows things down because most of them aren't. So instead of just randomly scrolling through Facebook, hoping that your dream job is there, mm-hmm. we reverse engineer it and we say, okay, well, if we want to make six figures, the business owner has to make seven. That's just basic math, right? Mm-hmm. We're getting paid 10, 15%. So I can't outproduce the company that I'm working with. It just yeah, doesn't work. The math has to make sense. 
So then I have to understand what are the dynamics or what are the ingredients of a seven figure business? If I don't know what it looks like, it might be right in front of my face. Sure. I'm never going to know. And vice versa. What does it look like if a company isn't together? Mm-hmm. Right. So the very basics of it, not to, not to take up the whole podcast kind of yeah. going I'm, into I'm... this, but the basic elements of a great company is marketing, sales, and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So I want to start looking sales more. I have to figure out that information, but marketing is out there. Mm-hmm. I can look up any company's marketing and see if it makes sense. If I'm in alignment with it, if mm-hmm. it's, if they're visible, if I can't find the company, it means the prospects can't find them. Of course. So I'm looking in the marketing side and then fulfillment, right? I'm looking at are people succeeding? Are there reviews? Are there testimonials? Right. I'm looking at those outside. What I'm looking for is proof. Mm-hmm. as much proof as I can find before getting in that process. So we teach instead of here's how you apply for jobs or here's how you go and recruiter pipelines, here's how you research the 20% of companies that could actually deliver what you want. So smart. Now, how do we reverse engineer that to find the people that work within that organization? So mm-hmm. this is the business owner. Who are the 10, 12, 15 people they talk to on a daily basis? Because we know, you and I both know, referrals, insane, right? Like referrals are the number one source of new hires. And the higher up, the better the opportunity, the more likely it is referrals. Always. And so referrals mean it's not going to be the business owner. It's going to be the eight people around them. So how can I get top of mind with those eight people and start building a web? So we can do that from business owners and who do they work around who are their hiring managers who are their marketers who do they spend their time talking to so that my name can be introduced there or we can do it salespeople, which is i want to make 20k a month go find the salespeople that are making 20k a month mm-hmm. who are they what do they do how can i be involved with them because that's the proof everything else is just a waste of time in my mind I want to focus 100% of my efforts on the 20% that actually pay off instead of just opening up Facebook and applying for five di- five jobs and feeling like, oh, I did something today. That's so smart. So Thanks. what you've done is you you just systemize the entire process, right? Instead of just applying, 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 which is, I mean, if I go back to, it's been a long time since I applied for a job, but like, that's what I would do is just fire off my resume, right? Spoof that bad boy up, send it out like mad, see who bites. But instead, it, it's a little bit more, I think I said earlier, like methodical, right? You're, you're finding, you're doing, you're, you're essentially scouting, you're scouting. And, and are you, are they outreaching to these people? Yeah. So what it is, and and the reason the shift that kind of made sense to me is like, I want to run this like a business. If you Mm -hmm. think about Facebook ad specialists or email marketers or copywriters or all these service providers, what do they do? They market themselves, right? Mm -hmm. They set the terms and they organically market, they go out, find a potential client, pitch them mm-hmm. the service, right? Sure. Sign the deal. But for some reason, sales is still a service. It's an extremely valuable service, but we don't mm-hmm. get that same opportunity. It's, mm-hmm. hey, this is the job, take it or leave it. Here's the lead flow, take it or leave it. Here's the pay, take it or leave it. But I started thinking of like sales as a service. What I have is a service for this business owner. It solves a problem. So I want to go direct. I got, I got actually into the habit where if I see a job post that I want, I failed because 
I should have built the relationship with that business and that business owner before they ever had a chance to post. Because yeah. as soon as they post, that's a chore. As you know, hiring is a chore. It's a pain oh, in the ass. I know. All no one about. loves hiring. If you say yeah. you do, you're absolutely nuts. I want to yeah. meet you if you do. But sifting through 200 applicants to get five interviews, hoping that those five interviews bring one or two good people, like that's a chore. I don't want to create a chore for the business owner. I want them to be like, hey, do we know anybody that might be a good fit? And eight people were like, have you talked to JD? That was mm -hmm. my mindset. And so what I did was I just kind of took organic marketing principles and applied them to my career as if this is the service that I'm selling a business owner. These are my mm -hmm. clients. I can have multiple clients if I want. I can work out different deals. I can set my terms. I can agree to theirs. And we're collaborating. Mm -hmm. And what I found is business owners actually wanted that because I can expand and contract in their business. Maybe they want a closer, but they also want me to train a couple setters. So I had more opportunities and I wasn't kind of, I wasn't closed off to say, sometimes it was just a straight interaction. Hey, close for us. But sometimes there was opportunities within that business. Right? Mm -hmm. So I just took organic principles and applied them to my career and they work really well. So to answer your question, sometimes it was outreach. But my real goal was inbound. Mm -hmm. I wanted to create a personal brand and have people reaching out to me. I wanted to get to a point where I was turning down two, three offers a week. That's mm -hmm. really where total job security and freedom comes from is having the option at any time to leave. Smart, smart. Yeah. So, so are you, are you, I know people are coming to you. They want to get better at sales. They want to build the, the mentality. They want to obviously learn the scouting and, and how to land the job. I know you're helping them with sales in that time. Are you also, because it sounds like it was your original idea for people to reach out to you, which I imagine is happening at this stage, right? I Tell me if I'm wrong, but are, are companies coming to you saying, hey, JD, here's what we're looking for. They fit this criteria. Do you know anyone? Is that kind of what's yeah. happening at this stage? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's always people reaching out to me. There's always, I mean, we have our network, mm -hmm. but I was very particular of a lot of companies wanted to pay to have us set up and connect and that to me is where things get dicey because then all of a sudden my bias or my priority goes to the business owner and then mm -hmm. i'm trying to sell a position mm -hmm. i never wanted to be in that position where like my priority is to get people that may not like an offer into that offer mm -hmm. and that's where it gets cloudy um, but right now what my focus is is on those 20 percent of businesses those seven figure a month businesses, those consistent, you know, have everything in place. I want UCM to be the first place that they come. And so we've, we've made some relationships and some alliances there. I want to do a lot more, mm -hmm. but the beautiful thing about the way we teach is the students don't need that. They go out and find the right opportunity because what I think might be a great opportunity for them. They're like, no, I actually like the culture fit here. And so that's why the first step is like, give me a list of 10 or 15 of your dream companies and let's figure out how you get in there instead of me telling you what opportunities I have and be limited. I don't want to resemble a pipeline. I want each salesperson to build their own pipeline because then they're not dependent on me. I want mm -hmm. them to be able to grow and compound that interest over time. So long after I'm retired, they can continue to grow and not ever be dependent on another person for an opportunity. Very interesting. I, I had an idea of what you did, but I, I wasn't aware of of how much I was under the impression that like people came, they're like, JD, I want to learn how to sell. 
and then how to how to land a job. I wasn't aware of like how much actually went and how could I have been right. But like that, there's a there's a lot more that goes into it. So it is it is fascinating that there's this whole space that I I've you know I've been in this space for going on two years now, but I was just oblivious to like this this corner of it, right? Yeah. So it is it is really interesting. Now for the viewers, JD, you you have um. I don't want to say like a saying, but you have a a mentality that objections do not exist. Mm. Right. And I know there are business owners right now listening at this point in the podcast and are like, bullshit. I got a finance objection this morning. So what do you mean when you say objections do not exist? Yeah. So that one definitely stirs the pot a little bit because Mm -hmm. also like a lot of people have built businesses around the idea that objections are the things that that make you a lot of money and change. But think about the word. Where mm-hmm. else do you hear the word objections? Court. Court. Why? Right? It's an opposition. Mm-hmm. It's a disagreement. I oppose what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? That means that you represent the sale. You've already lost. Mm-hmm. They Good know point. that you represent the sale. So what they're opposing is your bias for them to buy. I go into every call and my purpose is to facilitate the best decision possible. Mm-hmm. So what could the prospect be opposing to? They want to make the worst decision possible. If I don't, if I don't position myself on yes or no, but instead on optimal decision, mm-hmm. if the best answer is no, I want to get you to know hundred percent confidence. Mm-hmm. If the best answer is yes, I want to get you to yes, hundred percent confidence. That's where I am. I'm a facilitator. Mm-hmm. What can you object to? No. no, I want to make a horrible decision. I'm here to make bad decisions all day. They can't do it. It's not a right? human. So yeah, not a- when you aren't that piff junkie sales breath, I buy or die mentality that a lot of these trainers have, all of a sudden now it's okay to have no, right? Mm-hmm. What I don't want is maybe. I don't want uh, kind of on either side. Sure. I don't want yes, but I'm unsure or no, and I'm unsure. Mm-hmm. I want that 100% confidence either way. Then all of a sudden, I'm out of my own way. There's nothing to object to. Mm-hmm. Then what happens, we can actually get to what is actually happening. I don't hear objections. What I hear is fears, yep. doubt, concerns, concerns mm-hmm. need for more information, yep. bias, errors in decision-making, right? Because if we look at it, we want optimal decisions. So what is a suboptimal decision? Well, there's only two ways that you can have a suboptimal decision. Your decision-making process is broken mm-hmm. or the information is broken. It can only be informational errors or decision-making process errors. Why do people make bad decisions? That's something I obsess over because that's really the difference between buyers buy, sure, great. Non-buyers shouldn't buy, great. The middle ground is where I obsess. The people who mm-hmm. should, who could, who don't. Mm-hmm. That's all I care about because I know that it's a good decision for them. I think they know too, but they aren't doing it. Well, I can relate to that. You can relate to that. We've made bad decisions before, even though we knew what the good decision was. So I obsess over understanding that. So the process, decision-making process would be, okay, well, how emotional, how much do I weigh emotions, how I feel? Because understanding that emotions usually don't lead to great decisions, right? Or fear. How much is fear? So my job now is to see errors in the decision-making process Mm -hmm. or information. Is there a bias? 
or is there misinformation or is there some sort of ignorance, meaning they just don't know what they don't know? Sure. My job is to organize the information and hopefully get to well-informed, rational decision-making. Because what I've found is it's very hard to make a rational, well-informed, logical, bad decision. Yeah, It's also very hard to make an emotional, irrational, illogical, good decision. Yep. So really my job is to organize that information and kind of untie any of those knots that may lead a good person to make a bad decision. So there's no objections. And I welcome concerns. I welcome doubt. I open to know. I start every call telling people why they wouldn't want to work with me. Mm-hmm. Here's a few reasons why you wouldn't want to work with me. I tell them what I'm the worst at. Mm-hmm. I tell them what I don't do. I tell them yep. that sometimes I'm a bit of an asshole because I'm committed to their success. But if you don't like brutal honesty, this is not a good spot for you. If you're sure. looking for a traditional sales trainer who's going to talk about objections and scripts and tonalities, I'm the worst person on the planet. I guarantee there's very few people that jump on a sales call and the person starts by telling them they're the worst person on the planet mm-hmm. for this. Yeah, right? it's unique. And then I ask them, what are you worried about? What are your concerns? What are yeah. you afraid of? What are your red flags? Right. Let's get it all out in the open. Because then we can actually have a real conversation. I'm more concerned if they don't have any concerns. I'm more concerned if they don't have any fears. And then once we get all through that, then it's just logistics. Then it's just, well, do we have the resources? Okay, if not, we have to be resourceful. How can we come up with that? Then we problem solve. But most people, like, I can't remember the last time I got, I need to think about it because that's what we're doing here. But most of that is because I don't feel like I can tell you the truth because I know you're going to objection handle. Exactly. Right. So we can just have genuine conversations and I can help facilitate better decisions. A lot of good, a lot of good points in there. And I would, I I agree with, with, um, (laughs) keep it simple. I agree with all of them. One, um, pre-handling up top, right. Airing out the concerns, right. First and foremost, right. It's okay. If you tell me no, Right. I just ask that I also have that same privilege. If I don't feel like it's a good fit, if I don't feel like what we do would actually work for you, I just ask that you're okay if I also say, you know, that maybe it's not in our best interest to work together. Is that okay with you? Yeah, please. Right. No one's a, that's, that's a Michael Dunlevy uh, quote there. You probably heard that. I know you guys did a, a, a podcast or a live. He, I learned a lot. We've we've done podcasts, we've done lives, we've had dinner in Guatemala. It's one of my favorite people. He is. A genius, and uh, I'm 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 gonna quote him every time I use uh, some of his phrases because he's it's one of my favorite mentorships. But yeah, a lot, just, it, it's those pattern interrupts, right? When you can do that, especially in the beginning of a call, it's like, oh shit, like this is different. This has a different feel than the other guy who I could literally smell the commission breath through the through the mm-hmm. camera, right? Yeah. So one, I think it's great there if I handle those things up top, uh, build that trust is what you're doing there as well, and then of course welcoming no before I pitch any any, and I'll give this to you guys uh, that are listening. We teach this only in, in our, in our program. I don't really market about this a whole lot because I think it is extremely powerful, but I'm here you go. Here's a free word track guys. After I pitch the presentation pitch, right. After I describe how we're going to help them, right. In layman term, I say, was there any red flags, any reason that you feel like the program and the steps that I laid out just wouldn't work for you? Any Mm -hmm. reason at all? So before I even pitch price, I want to hear you tell me all the reasons that you think that the plan that I laid out, where the flaws are. Mm. I want to know. 
before I pitch the price because if there are flaws and you've already addressed them, you've already acknowledged that there are and you haven't shared them with me, when I pitch that price, you're going to give me some bogus objection. Now I got to do a, 10 more steps to figure out what it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because yeah, they now that. have the the ability to use price as their shield. Oh, it's expensive. Got to think about it. This, 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 this. When in reality, maybe it was just a program. Maybe it was step two. They were unclear. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. No, I do a similar training on uh, pre-commitments. One of my favorite training is 12 pre-commitments throughout the call that we don't, don't pass go, do not collect $200 unless we get that commitment. And if not, we just stay there, right? And yeah. we don't move forward until we get it. But very similar, I'll just ask, I'll lay out everything, you know, the 100 hours of live coaching, the 800 hours of recorded, the, the community, all these things, right? Me in your corner. Now, Brent, is there anything that I didn't list here that you feel like you would need to be successful? Anything at all? Like, mm -hmm. what do you need to be successful that wasn't listed there? Mm -hmm. Because we can't list everything, right? Sure. And get them to see Right. And they're like, no, that's it. Okay. What have I done? I've gotten them to commit that everything there is what they need to be successful. Mm -hmm. And then I'll ask kind of benefit questions of, do you feel like working with someone like me would speed up the process at which you'd be successful? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, probability wise, there's no hundred percent, but do you feel like probability wise, it's more likely that you're successful with me or without me? And so now it's like, all we have to do is logistics. They've told me that everything that they need to be successful is there, mm -hmm. that working with me would speed up the process and the probability of success. So now it really is logistics. Mm -hmm. yep. That's what I want to get. I want to get through all that messy stuff that could make someone make an illogical decision first, bring those up and address those and not overcome. I don't want to overcome anything. I don't want to handle anything. I want to draw out and organize so the prospect can make the best decision possible and anything that I call them like knots, but I want to just untie any knots that are there that are preventing someone from making that rational, logical, educated decision. And if it's not in their best interest, have the ability, right, to, to the viewers, not you, I, I know you have this, have the ability to tell them that when it's not in their mm -hmm. best interest, quit pitching because you've spent 30 minutes with them. You might uncover at the 30 minute mark, right? When you're gearing up, they might say some things. I'll use a fitness uh, reference here, right? Maybe you went through the whole call. Everything was fine. And then right before you pitch price, you find out they have an active eating disorder. It's in no alignment with what you do. You're not qualified. You don't have a dietitian on staff, but you still pitch because you've spent, you've invested 30 minutes into them, even though it might not be in their best interest, right? I know this is an extremely specific example, but there's so many different sure. ways that this, this can unfold. As a salesperson, you have to get out of the idea that the length of the call somehow gets you closer to the sale. Like people <laughs> yeah. think that, oh, I'm 45 minutes in, I'm so close. Mm -hmm. You're not closer just because of the length. And, and that's something you have to get out of your mind. You have to be able, for me, like very similar principle, I like to give them something I like and something I'm concerned about because mm -hmm. when it's my own program, I know that I can kind of step in and do more. It's different. Mm -hmm. Right. But when I used to sell other people's programs, I would always kind of feel like, Oh shit, I'm not sure if this person will be successful, but that's not my job. But I mm -hmm. wanted to feel the integrity of like, I feel good when I look in the mirror, I feel like I'm not misleading anybody. So I came up with a principle of like, what can I do 
to voice my concerns, but not make the decision for the other person. It's not my job. And I've been wrong mm-hmm. before. There's been people where I'm like, there's no way. The surprise and then the they you. kill it. And there's been yep. people where I would have bet the farm and they don't do it. So yep. I'm wrong. And, and there's no way of telling. So I kind of thought like, how can I come up with an idea that makes me feel at peace? And it was basically, I call it the like and concern. We're sharing all our best stuff. Man, great audience. Yeah, we are. This is, this is going to be a, a great but podcast for these guys. At the end of each call, before we get into the decision-making, I always tell them something I like. So I might say, Brent, the good thing is your transferable skills. I know you don't have a lot of sales skills coming into this industry, but like, mm-hmm. like you, you seem like you are a great communicator and you have a lot of transferable skills and you have like a level-headed mind and that's going to pay dividends. You're not coming in trying to make 50K in like 12 days. Mm-hmm. So those are the things I like. My only concern, mm-hmm. and then I voice my concern, right? Yeah. My only concern is things are really good right now. And sometimes when it's good, it's hard to make it great because you seem like everything's mm-hmm. going well and you're comfortable, right? And the people that I've seen really succeed the fastest are the ones that have that urgency where they're like, I got no fucking choice. I have okay. to do this now, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's my only concern. I don't know if I'm way off on this, but mm-hmm. do you have any insights on that? Or my only concern mm-hmm. is you seem really busy right now. And this doesn't take a lot of time, but it takes some time. And yeah. are you going to be able to commit to that? And that way I brought my true genuine concerns. It's not a trick. It's not some tactic. Mm-hmm. These are things I'm actually concerned. And throughout the call, I'm actually figuring out what might prevent them from success. Because I've always thought my job is not just to sell, but it's also to like reverse engineer success stories, like mm-hmm. identify them and get them through. And so I want them not to be shocked one week, two weeks later and be like, oh, well, I didn't know. I don't have enough time be like, well, mm. we talked about this, right? You right. told me that you would. And what that did, it actually helped. Like there's no refunds. There's no buyer's remorse. There's no, oh, he told me this. Like mm-hmm. I'm addressing it and I'm challenging them on it. And that way they're going in, not just buying, but they're also succeeding. And that's right. the difference. And they're, they're selling themselves on, it being the right decision for them. Right. And if they truly believe it, that's, I heard on a podcast uh, yesterday when I was at the gym, right. Uh, the, the difference between persuasion and manipulation persuasion is when the end result is in their best interest. And you're just helping them come to terms with that and realize that that is a good path to take because it gets to what they ultimately want. Mm-hmm. Manipulation is the exact opposite. It is the use of persuasion for an outcome that is not in their best interest, right? Two very similar words. So, you know, what we're kind of doing there uh, without using the word persuasion, I don't don't know how that makes people feel, but we're we're allowing them to kind of see that the vehicle that they need for what they they envision as their best interest is insert your program, right? Yeah. It's It's funny that you say that because that's something I say all the time. I'm not a big fan of persuasion. And I know that sounds weird for someone in the, in the remote sales space, but it's too fine of a line because mm-hmm. persuasion is for them. Manipulations for me. Mm-hmm. Right? I like to be influential. I like to have influence, Good word. which is allow them to see that the grass is greener, not just mm-hmm. like convincing is that lowest form of persuasion. Yeah. Right. And it, it pushes people away. And then we have to go through tonality training and resistance training when we created all this stuff. I don't need any tonality training because when I'm genuinely curious about someone, I sound curious. It comes out. Enthusiastic (laughs) or concerned. I don't need tonality training unless I'm faking it. 
right? right. And so just being involved the, in the, the conversation is what you represent without force. Yep. When you can represent something that moves people without having to try and convince, I don't want to convince them. And that's, you know, Michael Dunleavy is another example of that. He's never trying to convince no. someone that they should. And what that does is it, it lowers people's resistance of we're not, we're flawed as humans mm -hmm. and people will resist. People have spite, like spite is a weird thing, right? Someone will screw themselves over just to spite a salesperson. You're like, yep. that's a weird thing. I want to get rid of all that. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of remove that energy and I want receptivity. Yep. Receptivity comes from that detachment. Right? That comes from being influential yeah. in someone's life. I use something very similar there. I'm very, very similar. Use even a lot of the same words. I don't know if I came up with this. My, I like to, when I share something I got from someone, I like to cite my source because I don't want to feel like a guru. Yeah, Gurus pretend to, to, you know, I hate the word guru. They pretend everything is theirs. Everything's organic. It yeah. came from their brain. I like to cite people. I don't know if I came up with this or not, but what I started saying on a sales call, I found myself saying it when prospects are very uneasy. Right. And I can feel that I can feel that. And I, I don't like feeling that I don't want to mm -hmm. move forward under those circumstances. So what I say is I just put my hands up and I say, listen, I, I can't force change. Right. And I don't want to force change because people who come in under that circumstance, they just don't do well. What I can do and what I'm here for is to facilitate change. Mm. Right. But that, that comes to you. That's your decision. All I can do is present you with the options. Right. And then it's just like, it's that raw moment where it's like, I actually legitimately, I, I, I say another one that's a, a little bit more harsh. Um, I say harsh lightly, but well, it depends on the prospect. It's a very certain prospect, right? Where it's like, okay, well, look, if nothing changes here, my life goes on the exact same way. Nothing changes. But unfortunately, right, all the things that have led you to this call, nothing changes there either. They continue on long after this call. Whether, you know, So two, two little reframes there when I feel like I'm pulling too much, right? I don't want to pull somebody in. I want it to be something that we step into together. 100%. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's where the... Uh, the methodology of like that push pull process, you probably hear us saying it all the time. It's a lot of what you're doing. You're pushing people away in a, mm -hmm. in, in a, in a good manner. What you're doing is you're creating space and you're kind of letting them say, how do I want to proceed? Mm -hmm. Right. You're not pulling them in. Cause if you're yanking them in, it's, it's convincing, which again is the lowest form of persuasion. We don't do that. Good salespeople don't. Right. Yeah. So yeah, no, 100%. my question, uh, JD, couple bonus questions here for the viewers, right? So they get to know a little bit more about you. You travel pretty often. Walk me through the logistics, like a high level three minute overview of the logistics of living around the entire world working for yeah. the computer. That's fascinating. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out, but it's, uh, <laughs> I, I feel blessed. Uh, I left Canada about five and a half years ago. I've done 37 countries since then. Wow. Um, I was on track for a lot more and then COVID hit and I got stuck. Yeah, I stay stuck in Colombia. Like it's a bad thing, but mm -hmm. uh, I spent seven months in Colombia cause it was shut down. Um, but yeah, I, I started out, I didn't have the business when I first started traveling, I was mm -hmm. doing the closing. Um, and 
I learned a lot. I had never traveled before like that. I've been on some vacations, mm -hmm. uh, but you learn as you go. And, and a couple of things that I've picked up for anybody that's interested and for what it's worth, again, everybody has a different experience. But for me, mm -hmm. I realized that the short travel wasn't working for me. I wasn't feeling like I was absorbing the place. I felt like I was so pressured to see so much yeah. so quickly. I admire the people that can do that, that mm -hmm. can get up before the calls, go see a bunch of stuff, and then after and go out. That's not me. What is short uh, travel to you? Just just to clarify there. So I'll tell you what I like. Um, okay. Personally, I like between the lowest I'll go is two weeks. I won't spend any less mm -hmm. than two weeks in a place, but ideally somewhere between one and three months. Nice. I think I'm at a point now and to be fair, like I did explore for a while. So if you asked me this a couple of years ago, I would have said, you know, one to two weeks is perfect, mm -hmm. but I'm getting to a point now where I want to go to a place that I really enjoy and I want to kind of get that local experience and yeah. I find just about two weeks, I'm just starting to understand it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good if you're wanting to explore, like do a bunch, if you don't like the place or it's not the place, continue moving on. But when you mm -hmm. find a place and you're like, there's something here. Yeah. Stay there a little bit longer. Then you're not dealing with like the Wi-Fi issues and the Airbnb and <laughs> you book a place and there's, it's right on a main street. Like yeah. you can, you can search. And also a lot of the places that you'll get better deals on outside of Airbnb want that one to three months. Airbnb mm -hmm. is good for shorter. So yeah. for me, the perfect amount is like three to eight countries a year is like ideal. Wow. Right? That's cool. one or three, you know, um, I do typically Colombia. We have our Christmas party, company Christmas party in Mexico. And then I like uh, Europe summers. So I'm in Spain right awesome. now and then going to um, Albania after this. Um, Insane. So that's it. Obviously, the second thing, if you're doing this remotely, you need a good Wi-Fi connection. Mm -hmm. um, everybody says they have a good Wi-Fi because most people don't. Mm -hmm. use it for anything than scrolling on their phone so i always if i'm going for a place a landlord i always get them to screen uh speed test speedtest.net yep, and just screenshot that and send it over most people don't know to do that mm -hmm. but speed speedtest.net it'll tell you what you need i think if you're doing zoom calls you want i mean ideally definitely over 10 megabits mm -hmm. per second it's big um Interesting. Yeah, that's, then, that's some veteran, uh, <laughs> it's a veteran assessment there. Yeah. Well, I've been, it sucks when you get to a place and you've booked for a month or two and the oh, Wi-Fi yeah. is not good. And then you're trying to backtrack. And um, I've been doing a lot more co-living, co-working spaces too. It's great. It's a little bit more expensive for what you get. Mm -hmm. If you want a big room and big like private area, that's a tough spot. But if you're not so worried about your room and you want that like community you want to know the wi-fi is good there's workspaces um co-living is a great option as well mm -hmm. interesting this is a whole new world uh for me i was i was telling you just briefly and I, I tell a lot of our viewers you know we we wanted to travel the country that was something we never did growing up i left i left ohio twice and three times in my whole life growing up three times just florida pennsylvania indiana um, mm. which Pennsylvania and Indiana butt right up to it. So Florida was like, that was my foreign country growing up. I was like, holy yes. smokes, what is a palm tree? Right. Yeah. So that was a, a lot of what we wanted to do. So we, we do six month increments. So we, we're wrapping up uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow we pack up, we head back East um, six months in like Phoenix, Phoenix, Scottsdale area. That was, uh, we love hiking. 
we love like yeah. just exploring. I feel like six months was like the, like the perfect number for us because there's so many hikes and places. Yeah. So we hit all the, all the, we want to capture it by state, not so much city. So mm -hmm. it's uh yeah. So next is North Carolina. We've got a whole bucket list planned out of, of the whole state that we're going to yeah. try to capture there. Yeah, man, we're, we're, we're loving it. And then, uh, then I will break down, I will get a passport. And I, I think the next step is us entering the big leagues, which is, which is, uh, what you're doing over there. I love it, man. Well, yeah. let me know if you need any, uh, travel tips, advice, where to go. Um, and, and that's what I love. I think it's not about like, Oh, I need to do what this person's doing, but just what do you want? Some people it's van life. Mm -hmm. Some people it's travel through the U S some people it's expand Some mm -hmm. people it's short travel, long travel, just pursue that and start planning towards it start working mm -hmm. towards it put a deadline because 10 yep. years will go by and you'll still be wondering like say okay i'm not ready now but what about september sure okay what would i need to do and playing that imagination of what would i need to do for this to be possible and how can i start working toward i need my passport okay when can i apply for this put yep. it in my calendar because if not it'll be 10 years later yeah. and i won't do it but yeah. Yeah, I think, and starting small, you know, starting in a place like don't, if you're first travel, don't travel across the world on another side where you don't know anything yeah. when you see some Instagram, like start another tip that I'll, I'll leave on is like time sure. zones, right? Like for me, if I'm working US, I can do US, I can do anything in the Eastern. So Latin America, South America, or I can do European, mm -hmm. which European I'm working afternoons and evenings right. and nights. And anything below, I'm working normal days, right? I'm not, I can't do, I've done it before, but Korea and Vietnam and Thailand, those are tough because you're working, you're starting your day at 9 p.m. and working through the night. I've done it and I love those places and eventually I will go back, but it's tough. It's tough yeah. to do. We had a couple of clients in, in Bali and connecting with an old friend in, in like Indonesia. Boy, it is uh Time zones can, I mean, that can really defeat you if, if you don't plan that accordingly. So JD, this was a blast, man. I feel like you and I could, we could jam out for hours. We will, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, thank you for the travel tips. Thank you for hopping on tons of good word tracks here, guys. Um, go back. If you listen, if you listen at 1.5, like me, go back and maybe just listen at one just for just the second time through, write all this down. I promise like you guys are going to close more deals if you actually, you know, uh, put this to use, right? So JD, as we kind of wrap up here, where can everyone find you? Yeah, so we have, uh, I mean, I'm probably most active in our Facebook group. So Undeniable Closer, Remote Sales Training and Career mm -hmm. Advancement. That's probably the community. I mean, you can just reach out. I'm, like I said, I'm a crazy person. I eat, sleep and breathe here. I love nerding out. Don't feel like you can't reach out. If you have mm -hmm. a question, personal, professional, just reach out. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's probably the best way. So message me and just introduce yourself and tell me that you heard me here. And uh, yeah, let's chat it out. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll place some links in the, uh, in the bio for them. So JD, we appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening to another episode and happy selling.